Mark here from Mark 2.0. Brian, as always, is my co-host. Today, we are pleased to welcome Jim Burns, actor, musician, model, retired uh, Army. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Let's start out with Brian. Basically overachiever here. Uh, Mr. Burns, as well. Uh, so where should we start? You're a 21 years uh, retired, right, officer? That's correct. Uh, so where were you born, Mr. Burns? I was born in Buffalo, New York. Buffalo Bill. I have friends from Buffalo. Where were your parents uh, from? They were also from Buffalo. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, where'd you go to school? So I, uh, when I was six months old, my father moved us from Buffalo to Columbus, Ohio. He broke away to start his own business. And so I grew up in Catholic schools and, and that was a lot of fun. And that's where I developed my appreciation for singing. And uh, Choir. Yes, many choirs. And they would put you on the altar and you, you would canter and you'd have to sing in front of the whole school. You can imagine that. That's awesome. I was in choir. I remember doing that very well. Yes, yes. But believe it or not, here I am, 50 years old, and I'm still doing it. Still singing. Good. That's you and great. Me both. That's fantastic. So you went to high school there? Or? I did. I went to Thomas Worthington High School, public high school. I wanted to break away from that a little bit. And uh, the high school is also right, not close to my home. Mm. And then I uh, went to Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, what did you study there? What did you study there though? My, I majored in vocational rehabilitation counseling. What brought you to that? You know, it's interesting. I knew I wanted to have a career in healthcare rehabilitation. I, when I was a senior, a good friend of mine that I had grown up with on the swim team, I swam competitively from age six through 21, all the way through college. Wow. And this teammate of mine was at the Naval Academy. He was two years ahead of me and got hit in the head by a rope cable accidentally on one of the Naval ships Goodness. and almost died, came, was transferred back to the Ohio State University Dodd Hall Center, uh, Rehabilitation Center. So my friends and I would go observe him and keep him company once a week. And I watched the rehabilitation services around him perform their magic. And I thought to myself, I want to do something in this someday. It was very motivating and to watch him go from, uh, you know, a supine position to uh, walking out of the facility in about a four-month time period. It was truly amazing. And then, uh, and so my undergraduate uh, school didn't have physical and occupational therapy. I knew I wanted to do one of those hands-on services. And so I majored in the next best thing, but it turned out to be one of the best uh, preparatory majors for my graduate work later. So uh, that's how that all came about. I graduated from Wright State in 1994, and then uh, I got a series of odd jobs, and then I started volunteering at Dodd Hall at that same facility where I watched Mark um, improve. Here we are five years later, and some of the therapists were the same. And you and, did voluntary work there. Oh, yeah. You, well, you had to in order to be considered for one of the programs. Oh. 
So by this time, I knew I was going to go for a master's degree. The profession started entry-level master degrees. And I decided on occupational therapy because I thought some of the interventions they were doing were just really interesting and frankly kind of cool. And they are. Wow. Yeah. Like, like, like what, what, can you elaborate well, a little on Yeah, actually, some of the things that they do are very similar to physical therapy, but they're geared towards functional activities. So in other words, they might, instead of working on strictly just your gross motor strength, they're going to work on your fine motor skills. And some, and to get to that point, sometimes they've got to construct a splint for your, or even a casting uh, device for your upper extremity to put it in a functional position so you don't have contractures. That's in preparation for practicing the normal everyday things that you do. And I just find that really interesting. And I do to this day. Oh, it seems finally, finally high, uh, highly fine-tuned, I should say. Yes, fascinating. Yes. And then I'm, then I'm in the military and I'm working on fine motor skills for soldiers who have got to fire their weapons. You know what I mean? Oh, so, wow. That is or awesome. Pass, or pass their push-ups. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. Mm. So mm. when exactly did the military thing come into play in there? So that's an excellent question. So, you know, you know, you know how life is. Not everything goes according to the way you plan it. And when I first graduated, it, my first year out of school was hard for me because I was busy all the time from the time first grade all the way through college because I was always an athlete. I was involved in a lot of things. Then all of a sudden, it all comes to a, a screeching halt. And, and, you know, one, one thing, one le life lesson I learned is you could do something great in one area of your life and you might get a pet on the back. You graduate, you move on. Nobody cares. They just, they, they might, it might get you in the door, but they just want to see what can you do now? What are you ready for? Well, to be honest with you, I wasn't really ready for anything because I hadn't, other than school, I hadn't really prepared. Um, so I started volunteering and I was going to go in the Coast Guard. I just had this calling to go in the military. My dad was a Marine for six years when he was young. My brother was in the Army for a short time and became a deputy sheriff. I had an uncle who was in the Army and became a lieutenant in the Buffalo Police Force. I, I wanted to be a man in uniform. My father talked me out of it. I actually had gone to a recruiting office to talk to a, a Coast Guard recruiter briefly Nothing came of it. I didn't sign any papers, but my father took me out to dinner and talked to me out of it. He wanted me to go to graduate school first. And the, his main concern, this is before school was online. So it's a different time. Yes, I remember. And he, he graduated from college in 1958, but he always wanted to go to law school. Well, that, that, it never came into, never, uh, came into fruition. He went to the University of Notre Dame, so he was a fighting Irishman. He was very pro-school, but when he went into the service right away, uh, it was during the Vietnam era, and you know he was shot twice, uh, came back, and eventually uh, discharged honorably and started his life and was and was married uh, more than once and started his own business it just life never worked out that way so he didn't want to meet want me to make that same path so he said 
he felt that for my generation, you need more than just a bachelor's degree. For me, it turned out to be true. I don't know about any more, but <laughs> so that's what happened. He, he basically steered me away from it and said, go to school now, do it now. Because as you get older, it gets harder and harder to change, which is true. That turned out to be good advice. He's playing it safe for you and was really just wanted safe decisions. He did. He, you he know, sounds like an excellent, uh, excellent guidance. He was. He was a good mentor. And one thing he said to me, uh, I spent the next year taking prerequisite courses while working at a health club and coaching high school. And when I got the acceptance letter at Chatham University for the master's program, he and I went out uh, for a beer to celebrate. Now we're like a year and a half after that conversation about the Coast Guard. And I said, I remember one of the things I said very naively, I said, well, I can't wait till I graduate, then I'll be set. I'll be set in life. And he looked at me very serious and he said, never say that, Jim. Sounds familiar. <laughs> I never, yes, I never forgot that. I never, in other words, he said, he, he meant don't take anything for granted. Oh my goodness. So then, so then your military career started after that. Yeah, well, I was working, I actually, not right away. I worked for three years in the civilian sector and I was starting to get burnt out. I could not get a job with people my own age. And this is so funny. I keep in touch with the one therapist. She was old enough to be my mom to this day. She actually was my first mentor ever. A great lady named Ruth Oppenheimer. Um, we had a lot of, I had a lot of fun working with her. I really did. But I could, I was working in nursing homes and I could not get a job in a hospital. I thought I'd be working with like everyone my own age. It didn't happen. And I, after a while was starting to feel like I was out of place because I was still in my 20s. And there were some exciting things going on in the year 2000. Uh, the naval ship was, um, was unfortunately was attacked by a, a terrorist group. And I can't remember where it was at. And I remember feeling like I wanted to be a part of that again. You know, there were sailors missing at the time. And so I started to, I, I stopped at a recruiter's office, this time an army recruiter, and asked them about enlisting as the U.S. Army Occupational Therapist. And this is pre-9-11, and they weren't taking, they weren't recruiting for Army OTs, except through an internship program that they had at Walter Reed. But I was beyond that because I, already, I was already licensed. So I was kind of down. And I said, okay. So you were fully qualified and couldn't get in? Could not. This is pre-9-11 because the military had downsized so much in the 90s. You know, because their, the perception of a threat wasn't as prevalent during the Clinton administration. And so they had downgraded the military. And so there were specific portals that, that you could you would have to go through in order to enlist, particularly on the MedCom the medical command side. So one day I was really getting burnt out, quite frankly. I was 28 years old, 29 was the cutoff. And I called this recruiter and I said, 
I'm just going to enlist in the regular army. I don't care what you put me in. Let's just do it. So they did. Uh, they, trans they had a packet on me. They transferred it from the healthcare recruiting office to the regular army recruiting office. And I started to develop a working relationship with a health, uh, an army recruiter. My best friend at the time who was going in the Marines uh, went with me to go talk to this recruiter. And, uh, and then they decided ultimately they took down what they said, what is your wish list? Naively, I'm, I'm thinking they honor it. And so I wanted to be an army intelligence officer. And I had this image of James Bond in the, in the you know, with all the cool computer gadgets and everything. Tell me he's got to do it. Well, they don't tell you what you're gonna be branched until you are already enlisted in the military. So, cause I went through a program called college op or college option, meaning that you went to college already but then you basically went through two crash courses to get commissioned. You had to go through regular boot camp, which I did. And then they send you through officer candidate school. All, all at Fort Benning for me. How long did that take, officer candidate school? Well, I count boot camp in that. So that boot camp okay. altogether was 10 weeks. Then you had a month of just doing regular, basically chores for the military. You're, you're like in the holding area. And then I went to officer candidate school, which is 14 weeks on paper, but then you've got to factor in, and then there's holidays and Christmas. So it goes beyond that. What is that exactly? I mean, everyone knows what boot camp is. Yes. But basically, what is that uh, officer candidate school? Officer candidate school is a more sophisticated curriculum of boot camp, really. Yeah. Um, you learn customs and courtesies, but they treat you the same in terms of the strictness and the hours. You can be punished uh, if you do something careless and you're not paying attention. Uh, they overtask you to try to teach you how to task and organize under pressure. It's really a brilliant concept if you think about it. Looking back, I probably made it harder than it really was. I got through it and I'm proud of that. <laughs> and I'm still in, in touch with my class to this day. But I, I think looking back, if we just would have just focused on the tasks and not thought about the pressure, but that's part of the learning process. I made everything harder than I should have been as a young man. So what came after that? So... Well, in between boot camp and officer candidate school is where I learned I was going to be commissioned in the Corps of Engineers. That's where you learn how to blow things up. Oh, yeah. And I remember my classmates uh, were surprised for me in a good way because they said, I remember one of them said to me, he said, he goes, what were your, um, what were your, what was your, transcript in college like like what were your grades i had pretty good grades but i was i was honored that they thought highly enough of me to make me a corps of engineer in the corps of engineers and it turned out to be a a, a challenging program so i got i was commissioned in february of 02 and then i went to that was at fort benning and then i went to fort leonard wood for a four-month engineer course 
And that, those, that was probably one of the hardest trainings because it was, uh, let's see, zero six was PT for an hour and a half or for like an hour. And then you had an hour to get ready for class eight to five every day. And it was engineer classes and you had to memorize and you had to study and pass those tests. So cool I would say academically, it was challenging, physically somewhat, but mostly it was mostly an academic course. And it was a good test of your stamina. And during that time, right as I entered it, I, I knew I was gonna be stationed in Korea, in the Republic of Korea, which I was excited about because that would have been, that was my first trip, if you will, overseas, which ended up lasting two years. So I hear you actually did two tours in Korea. In Korea, as a, as a platoon leader and then as an executive officer. Very challenging time, but <sighs> interesting. I can't but, imagine. I mean, I saw MASH, but geez, <laughs> it was, you know, you have a great calm demeanor after 21 years. I'm sure that's why they put you in charge of blowing shit up. And I would have definitely you seemed like a heck of a nice guy. So can you tell us what it was like your first tour? Because I'm fascinated by these things. And by, by the way, thank you for your service well, from the heart, you, from the heart. I mean, I really mean that. Well, I, I love, you know what? As a 50-year-old, I can honestly say I love this country, and I'm I, I feel blessed to have to have had the opportunity to serve. I feel and that. I, I hope that we can um, protect this country and our sovereignty. However, uh, I would say it was just a fascinating experience. I was working. My unit was by this time I'm 30 years old. Most of my unit was younger than me. I mean, these young soldiers were during, it was like during the equivalent of their college years, but I was blown away by them. They were responsible and skilled, and we spent a lot of time on field problems. So basically wargaming. So basically you're in charge of your equipment, you're training every day in anticipation and preparation for a mission and Every year they do what's called the Imjin River Crossing because it was a, it's a real life battle reenactment that took place between the North and the South Korean forces during the actual war. And so they reenact that. And so I got a chance to be a part of that and I was with the bridging unit. So our, our unit was in charge of, you know, the, the, the short bridges that open up so that the tracked vehicles can cross the bridge um, safely and proficiently. And just to be, just to see how all that comes together. Uh, it, it, it was amazing. And then you, we also trained with the Rock Army. And so I'm still, and you have a contemporary in the Rock Army, the Republic of Korea, that you get to know and you train with. And I'm still friends with uh, his, well, I call him Kim. Uh, I'm still friends with Kim to this day. Uh, we still keep in touch on social media and everything. He, he always invites me out, out there. But I, I mean, I, I don't know if I can, can, can go maybe someday. How cool but, is that? What does he do out there? What's his profession? I think he's in IT, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. Um, I know he's married and now has a daughter and all of that. But yeah, he didn't make the Army a career because over there, they are obligated to serve um, 
at least a two-year period. I think he did more than two years, but he, uh, so he was doing his obligation. He did get commissioned when he got out of college. So, and, but over there, yeah, you have to serve in their military or in, I think, in maybe in one of the law enforcement uh, branches. So, but it's a well-disciplined society. I'll give them that. Yeah, it, it was just thrilling societies. to be over there, uh, eating the food, uh, getting to know the civilians uh, that many of them, several of them had worked on our posts. We had, the posts over there were called camps. So I was on Camp LaGuardia my first year. Um, many of my friends who had gone through officer candidate school were also stationed there. It, it, it actually, I think, is kind of a, at the time anyway, this was before the, uh, the war, uh, yeah, Operation Iraqi Freedom had kicked off. That kicked off in March of 2003. I got to Korea in October of 02. But I think that it was kind of a popular place for young second lieutenants to be stationed, you know, because there were a lot of second lieutenant assignments over there. And then I also got to take two trips. I saw uh, Beijing, China, which was a lot of fun. Whoa, uh, what was that like? I would love yeah, to see that. Here. It's huge. Oh, man. All I can tell you is that it's huge and there's a lot of the color red. And uh, wow. they're happy to see Americans. And, you know, and English is spoken so widely over Asia. It I was really going to ask you about that. I mean, I learned a lot of phrases in, in Hangul, which is the Korean language. Um, but honestly, English is everywhere on the signs. There's American businesses everywhere. I also took a trip to Hong Kong for four days in January of 03. I think I have a picture of it on my Instagram. Cool. Anyway, I, what was interesting, I saw all these American banks that you see here, uh, of course, McDonald's. And uh, I, I felt very familiar when I was over there. It was interesting. Very, yeah, very interesting. Fascinating. Wow. Beijing, that'd be great. And so, so you, that was all during your first tour and. Oh, oh, or, or oh that both tours, both tours, because. Yeah. My second tour, I made the decision towards the end of my first tour was going well, I was enjoying it to extend that they give you the option. I could have come back to the States at my 12 month anniversary, but I decided to stay. There was an opportunity that, that came up for let, let's say the next job level. And like I said, things were going well and I thought I didn't wanna leave. And so I stayed. And I just moved to another part of the of the Republic of Korea for my next assignment. And at that time is when, keep in mind, the um, the campaign in Afghanistan was already underway because 9/11 had already passed, and then soldiers were coming back from Afghanistan and now, now this time Iraq, and in need of rehabilitation services. So now the army is recruiting heavily physical and occupational therapy graduates. Now, now the good one is you exactly prepped for what you wanted, need to right. do. <laughs> but when I wanted to keep in mind in 99, 2000, I couldn't get in. 
but because of the campaigns and the need, now they're recruiting heavily. So, and, and my mom had watched a special on 2020, I'll never forget it, is how they, they were actually, there was a, a, uh, a documentary on the professions and come to find out, because I knew this, both physical therapy and occupational therapy, which is what I am, were, um, they were born in the army, actually. So, you know, it made sense. So I took it up. By this time, I was in the Army for over two years. Actually, Give yourself credit. I mean, you did walk into that situation, and any bad thing could have happened to you. And you just said, I don't care. I'm going to find a way into this. And, and, and uh, bravo to you, sir. Please, sorry to interrupt. Please continue. That was oh, amazing and brave. But I was enjoying it. I, I had some challenging times. Don't get me wrong. But the camaraderie was amazing, and it still is to this day. And I wouldn't trade any of those experiences because, to be quite frank, when I got out of graduate school uh, in 1998, that was also the year my father died, and I was working, after like maybe the first 30 days, the excitement wore off, the honeymoon phase wore off, <laughs> and things became very routine, and, and I wasn't... Like I said, I couldn't get a job out of a nursing home. Anyway, <laughs> I'm in Korea and this need for occupational therapy was being advertised. And I contacted a healthcare recruiter from Korea. I contacted someone and, uh, in, in California, actually. And I, I don't remember how I got the number. This mm. is back in 2004. And I really didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. I thought, I'll just see what he says. Because I was, I was already obligated in my current job, but I was enjoying it. I wasn't unhappy. I knew I wanted to stay in the Army for a while. I didn't know I would make it a career at that point. I will say that. I thought I'd do maybe four to six years. And, um, and then the healthcare recruiter contacted me. He, in turn, contacted the Army Medical Specialist Corps, and I'll never forget, he um, put me in touch with an Army occupational therapist who was a lieutenant colonel. I ended up working for her years later. And one of the things that they were pleased with was that I did enlist in the Army and had those experience, experiences. So that, that was really, uh, and then the branch transfer process began. That took about 90 days. And I remember I had to, at, at some point, you fill out all the paperwork, you know, you, you, your emails back and forth, whatnot. You collect all the documentation that you need, but you still need to get approval from your current chain of command. And the way the army is all about leadership and mentorship. And I was working for a major at the time. And I, I knew he would be disappointed if he found out that I wanted to leave <laughs> to move on. But he came up to me at one point because I saw your paperwork. He goes, I signed it the other day. I said, okay, sir. You know, and I remember feeling uncomfortable yeah. He said, it, but he said, after I gave it some thought, he goes, I agreed with you, Jim. I think it would be a good fit. 
And um, so this he was, was a good guy, I think. He was a valuable guy. He, yeah. was, he, was, he was a good man. And I, I, this was spring of 2004. And when the branch transfer process was approved, I knew this would happen. They pulled me out of my job and I was an executive officer uh, serving the, whatever the, the commander at the time. And I remember feeling bad that I had to give up that job, but those jobs are all milestone, stepping stone jobs. And they, they, their rationale, and this is true, we're not going to keep you here if you're leaving us, you know? So then they put me in the main office, if you will. And I ended up doing a lot of the jobs that needed to be done, but nobody wanted to do. But I ended up really enjoying it because I used that time to prepare for my move back to the States. But I also got to do a lot of, some of the stuff was maybe diplomatic type work for the brigade. We had a team, I can't remember, there was a reunion for Korean War vets at the time. And so they put me in charge, like the liaison in charge of that event, where I had to go take a team of soldiers and go pick up these, at the time, these elderly gentlemen who were so excited to be there. I mean, they just were so excited to see us and talk to us. And, and they were with us so, uh, about good seven to 10 days. I mean, they had a lot of events planned for them. Some of them had to go to the ER because they got worn down. And I had to tell my command, you got to give them some downtime, <laughs> you know, that, you know, but to hear all their war stories and everything. So I never would have had opportunity. And I, you know, you take them to museums. We planned receptions for them. We took them back to the engine river area so they could see that because they were, they were the, the gentlemen that actually fought in the war, you know. And I'm sure that they were probably all deceased by now, but I still have some pictures from that time. And that was very meaningful and it was very motivating. And by this time, I'm 31 years old and these gentlemen are 70s and 80s. Um, your superiors of, wisely notice your experience with the older people. Yes. Probably really, really good with them at this point. You have an excellent calm demeanor meter you're good at uh, just taking care of them and it, it, it warms it's heartwarming to think that those higher-ups actually put enough thought into it to choose you and handpick you because so that was really smart yeah and it, I can't tell you just to hear their stories you know and you know they wanted to keep in touch with you and everything and oh, bless um, their hearts. yeah it, it was it was just an amazing but it also kind of brought things back home and then within not long after that is when I made the move back to the United States. What about Iraq? Iraq, uh, my deployment in Iraq came in 2006. Mm. Uh, this is when the operation, the op tempo as we call, called it was really high. People were rotating in and out of there. By this time, the army had moved me to Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And I, loved it there and but then the call came but was interesting five months before that i was in new orleans for um joint task force katrina did you all remember oh. hurricane katrina yeah, uh, yeah. new orleans yeah mm -hmm. we are having here that you're in the joint task force in 2005 right yeah 
Correct. Right before that. Okay. Yeah. So, but this is the, this is what the army did. The army was tasked to do relief efforts for the citizens of New Orleans. And ironically, the Corps of Engineers were, I wasn't a part of that part, were tasked to help uh, rebuild the levees, you know, because the levees had broken, which is why the, the ocean had flooded the city. So I was attached to a medical detachment company sent to go, but the army was using that operation to train medical units for Iraq. Does that make sense? Fascinating. So it was fascinating. And I remember I was with a team. There were, there were two different army hospitals that went. It, the mission was probably two and a half to three months long, cut in half between the two units. I was the first half that went. Yeah. And I remember I was sent as an augmentee on that mission. I, I wasn't on the original roster, basically. I was like an extra. And they were all, they all knew they were going to Afghanistan. This new unit then came in to relieve us. They were going to Iraq. So we did a right seat, left seat. We handed the mission to them. This is probably, I can't remember what month exactly, um, August to September of 2005. And I remember saying goodbye and good luck to my comrades there because we knew they were going to Afghanistan. I wasn't part of that unit. So I was going back to, to my life at Fort Jackson. <sighs> then in March of 2006, I got the call. I'm going to Iraq, Ooh. but it was with the unit that relieved me in New Orleans. Oh, you see wow. that? So I knew I had met those guys already. Oh, wow. But yeah, at the time, I didn't know I'd be with them. You didn't really work with them. You kind of just saw them come as you they, they were. I mean, I, we, we, I mean, I talked to them and everything, yeah. but I ended up that that turned out to be my family in Iraq because you know but it was just interesting how that all and I can that remember went full circle sure right <laughs> and I, I used to and I remember you know they were like some of them didn't know I was in uh New Orleans and I was like no I was with the guys that you relieved <laughs> you know so wow and you're still only 30 something what at this time at this time uh well by this time I'm 33 but You've done a lot already by now. Well, <laughs> again, most of the people I'm working with are much younger than me, <sighs> doing fascinating, life-saving things, taking on huge responsibilities. I mean, if you think about it, when we were deployed, most of all those checkpoints that are manned by soldiers, where many soldiers got hurt or killed, or, or in some cases, uh, saved lives, these are 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds. If you think about it, it's on the, it's on their back. Our safety is on their back. That's a good point. So a lot of young people can something that should be honored more. Oh my, point. and recognized more. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, um, so then I was in Iraq. Yeah, you were uh, come home. Yeah, I was in Iraq for a year. A year. So I got the call in March of 06. I had. 
report to Fort Hood, Texas. Yeah, in late March of 06. Then we, after about a week or two, we then moved to um, Wisconsin, Fort McCoy, I believe, where we did more uh, prep uh, deployment training. We were there several weeks. And then out of Fort McCoy, we had lined our bags up and we were on the plane to Kuwait. And we were in, then we were in Kuwait for a couple of weeks. And then eventually you take the big flight up into Iraq. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What'd you see in Kuwait? You know, honestly, uh, it was called Ali Al Salim. It's, it, 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 there's a, a large operational airport there. A lot of air traffic, a lot of Kuwaiti civilians working there, American civilians working there, contractors. It, it's it was good money, you know. It Such was a focal point at the time. Yeah, yes. all over the news constantly. But they're taking care of you, basically. You know, they're keeping soldiers well fed. We there were firing ranges, so we would go practice firing our weapons. Make sure that you're current in that. I would say, you know, it was a lot of, it's a lot of preparation. Yeah. Well, at the time, in the interest of time, this is all your military career. Just I could go on and on and on about this and just kill the whole hour, but I'm not going to do that. Um, so, so you retired in May, right? After 21 yes. years. Yes. Yes. And. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I saw something about the Rocky Mountain University of Health Professions. I earned a doctorate in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, the profession itself had ascended, if you will, into uh, pushing therapists to earn what they called clinical doctorates. So not quite a PhD but you still do a research project and take a series of courses and statistics and research methods because they felt that there wasn't, therapists were trained well in, in, our, in our skill sets, but there wasn't enough research generated and published in order to basically justify the profession and also to help track which interventions and methods work and whatnot. I, I admit I hemmed and hawed, but many of my colleagues were getting doctorates and, you know, you don't want to be the last one on the train. So I jumped on. That was an adventure. Uh, enjoyed parts of it. But what was good about it is it was a blended program. So it was mostly online. You had to be disciplined. I was still working every day. I was married at the time. Uh, I do have two boys. Uh, so I my oldest was a year, yeah, a year and a half when I started. And it was an 18-month program, so it was pretty intense. Wow, especially for a new daddy. Yes. <clears throat> wow, yeah, I remember that. So uh, let's see, uh, I, as far as before your entertainment career, I mean, I see um, what you have going recently, but I'm, I'm interested in hearing about your acting, your singing, yeah. and, uh, and all of that. You know, Mark was an actor for a while. Mark, why don't you ask him? I'm going to hog this handsome man all night. Why don't you ask him good acting questions? Because yeah, no, what got you started into that? How, how did you know you wanted to get it uh, shift into that industry? 
Right. Well, I always, I always um, had an appreciation for it. Let me just say that. And keep in mind, my whole life, I've been singing. Mm. So, uh, and that started through in Catholic school and Catholic choirs. So when I was in Korea, I joined, I was friends. I became real good friends with, uh, there were two lieutenants that I worked with. One was an American, a Korean American named mm. Ed Kim, mm. and the other one was Lieutenant Kim on the uh, in the Republic of Korea. Okay, yeah. so I'm in between these Kim two and Kim. Things. Yeah, Kim and Kim. Wow. And the American Kim actually grew up in Korea, but then his family moved to California, and he became an American citizen, still serving in the Corps of Engineers to this day. Anyway, Ed, Ed and I, Ed is also a singer, grew up singing by coincidence, and he's in my unit. But because he grew up in Seoul, he had family and friends, and he would take me out with his friends. And I, I had like a, a, a group of, you know, young adults that I would run around with. In fact, I had a girlfriend at the time. And that I met in that group. But then I joined their non-denominational Christian church, mainly for the singing. They had awesome. hymnals in English. Now, some of them were professional young singers. I mean, this was a good group. They And it was also my stress reliever. Choral singing has been my stress reliever. So here I am in Korea, you have these long days out in the field and whatnot. I lived for my Sunday mornings. Ed, Kim, and I would get on the, the subway. We'd go to the church there, and I would practice with the choir. I would sing English. They're singing in Hangul, but it all came oh, together. Wow. Right. And then at one point, at one of our dining inns, I sang the national anthem in Korea, and they helped prep me for it my friends in that group but many of like i said many of them were young at the time uh korean citizens and they were trying to break into korean pop culture so i'm singing with this really talented group but having so much fun while i'm doing it and, and just just getting a lot out of it even spiritually so when i left korea and went to south carolina i knew i wanted to keep singing mm. that that now I realized as a young adult how much it can help manage your stress and be a good outlet. So I found a really cool apartment on Divine Street in Columbia, South Carolina, and I contacted this church, the choir director. I thought it was a cathedral, this Catholic church, and it, it wasn't. It didn't have cathedral status, but it was like... This choir had a, an amazing history together. Many of them had been singing together for decades. The choir director at that time, Teresa, she was the second in its history. She said, why don't you come down to my office and we'll do a little makeshift audition. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? Wow. So she basically had me sing. She had me go up and down the keyboard she wanted to hear my voice on the different notes. And then, yes. And then she had me sing a hymn. 
And she said, I know where I'm going to put you. I thought I'm, I'm done. I'm toast. I didn't think I, 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 cause I'm, I looked at her office. I looked, I was like, wow. I mean, these people were, cause they were the equivalent of these young singers I was singing with in Korea and which she thought was interesting, you know, that I had that experience, but she accepted me after that. And so, and then from then on, I've been singing ever since. So basically that's where the performing, the fun with the performing, I got a taste for that saying, and then I started singing military events. I sang at two military balls in, uh, on Fort Jackson. Then word got around. I started doing, um, not just the national anthem, but other, uh, patriotic songs at retirement events. People started calling in and asking me to come and perform for them. Great. Acapella, totally acapella. Um, then, but because the army kept moving me around, I, I, just when you start to develop real solid relationships with different groups and family of singers or whatever, or word starts to get around that you've got something to offer up, you got to up and up and go. I can remember when I came back from Iraq, um, I became, well, when I was in Iraq, I became known as one of the singers of the deployment. When they, the army was going to, was bringing me back home. They wanted to send me to Washington, D.C. almost right away. And I fought it. And I said, no. I said, I need to go back to South Carolina. I didn't say because of the singing, but it was. Oh, yeah. It was, but I, I, I also said, I need some stability. So they gave me. I think I had about seven or eight months. So I was with that old, and they, and my, my singers, they all kept in close contact with me. They helped me get through that deployment, by the way. I got through Christmas with them. We had a big um, like festival of candles and the, all the Christmas festivities. So I ended up moving from South Carolina to Washington, DC in between Christmas and New Year's. So I was glad I got through that. And that helped me decrease a lot of my post-traumatic stress from my deployment, just having that. But I, I just remember I, I really fought tooth and nail, but I couldn't say it's because I want to go back and sing with my group. You know, that, that, that couldn't be the reason. That's a really uplifting story for me. But, I, know. I, I, I sang live shows my whole life. I'm, I'm a singer too. And, you know, I sing in my car every day to release yeah, stress right. and I will never, never stop ever. No. And you know what? There are many performers, actors and singers in the military that you don't realize. We would do talent shows like, like for camaraderie in, in Iraq. And I would sing. We had some real talented like guitar players. And you'd be surprised at, at what the military is hiding. You know what I'm saying? In you just don't of, think about that stuff. Yeah, like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. The talent is hiding in there. You just don't think about it. How beautiful. Right, right. And so um, uh, then I took a course. I, I, got, I would go to the, this one gentleman that I sang with. He's now deceased, Charlie Baker. His wife, he, his mother was the original... She was from France, the original choir director in South Carolina. Very distinguished family, but very down to earth at the same time. They took me in as one of their 
like a makeshift son, if you will. Mm. I actually had gone out with their daughter a couple of times, but they, his wife was one of the, um, I don't know what, she had an important job in town theater in, in Columbia, South Carolina. So I started to go there to watch a lot of shows. I'd get free tickets and Charlie and his wife would volunteer. Well, Charlie volunteered. His wife was working there still. And I ended up taking a class in acting when I was in South Carolina. I wanted to be part of like their volunteer theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got, it was fun. And then I deployed. I, that, I had to, I had, just as I'm getting, I, I took the class and had a lot of fun. It was real motivating. And everyone was cheering me on doing it. And then I had to deploy. Hmm. Then when I came back, and I'm singing, I would still go back to the theater just to watch. I knew I was going to leave. So things kept happening and hiccuping it. Then I'm in Washington. I had a lot going on. It was the height of the war, our wounded warrior population. This is where I'm now I'm with a lot of wounded warriors that need that are there for long-term rehab. And, but it was very um, motivating to be a part of that. And there's also a lot of recreational activities that we would prepare them for beyond just the in-clinic interventions that we did with, worked with them. But I also joined a Catholic choir there and loved it, but I wasn't as involved as I was in South Carolina because I had increased responsibility in the army, then met the lady that I married um, and other things in life took off the doctorate going to school, but I would still sing, but I always knew I, I, I eventually wanted to go back to a theater. You know, we always would enjoy going to see a play or something, but I had so many responsibilities and then having children, I was afraid to leave the military too, but I also had obligations. At one point I was made in definite status. So basically long story short in the army, you can't just resign and give them two weeks notice. You know, it would be a process, but I was loving it too. So. Wait, that's an honorable thing, right? I mean, you get right. that because they are like, wait, we really need you. So. Right. The, is there some kind of benefit? They, they give you the choice to have that right. status, right? Right. But to, to, <clears throat> to get back to this question about acting, um, and this is funny when my son was what, a year old or whatever. It's funny. Parenting brings a lot out of you too. I love getting dressed up in costumes. I love Halloween. And my oldest son loves uh, characters. And that was kind of like put in the back of my head, like, yeah, I can't wait to maybe take him and and do some theater work with him, which he's now in school plays. He's 10 years old, but I ended up going through a divorce and it wasn't pleasant. And by this time, this is the year 2018, going into 19, my divorce became final. And I thought, okay, new chapter, let's do something self-improvement. And I was going to take golf lessons again. So I thought, and I remember I was sitting but my, I joined another choir I, I went back to choral singing. There was a period of time where I didn't sing in a Catholic choir. 
because of the marriage. I didn't have the support. It is a little bit of a time commitment. And my wife at the time didn't want to have anything to do with it. Big mistake, by the way. Never uh -huh. give up. If you're listening, I went through whatever, the listening, same thing never, at the same time. We're connected, bro. Never, <laughs> never give up what's important to you for love. It's not that that's not love. However, um, I was going to take golf lessons. I had a little bit of money that I was going to use, a little play money, not a lot. And my director at the my my current director. She's real into two things, self-improvement. So she would encourage us to take singing lessons, leadership, presentation. So she's real into the spiritual side of it, of course. So she's training me as a cantor and to be a better performer. And I was looking up voiceover work. I wanted to improve voice because she's real into the enunciation. That's what it was. I look up voice acting because I thought voice acting would be kind of a nice supplement. But I couldn't find, but all the voice acting was with regular acting. Because honestly, at one point, I would kind of given up on it. But all the courses that I could find were bundles. And I remember it was either use the money for golf lessons or the voice. And I, I thought, I don't win. I was like, I did it. I paid the money online and I had my kids um, every other week. And I knew, that I, and I was, I was going to tell them they have to be here with me. They're going to be a part of it. And they are, they were. And uh, I started taking, I went, I enrolled in actors training ground in Raleigh, North Carolina. I would drive almost an hour and a half from Fort Bragg every weekend. It was all spring of 2019 and I loved it. It was a combination of monologues, training, um, audition techniques and professionalism and voiceover. So it was a bundle. It was Saturday and Sunday. It was a big commitment, but, and I'm also singing too. So on top of the singing, acting and I'm working, but I'm loving it. Now I'm getting into it again. So <clears throat> I ended up finding this company called Clap It. Clap It. C-L-A-P-I-T. Um, they were off the net for a while because of the pandemic, but they're back. And they would allow for professionally trained actors or new actors or people who, to audition for various roles, supporting roles, minor roles. And my acting coach and my, my classmates were like, you know, you're pretty good at this. Have you really considered it? And at first I was like, oh yeah, right. Well, then I, uh, I start, I thought this isn't gonna hurt me. I joined, i created a profile on this uh, audition, this production company's website. And within a month, boom, I got selected. I, I made the finals on one. And it was kind of, I thought, oh, nothing. And the director, he had us do uh, like another improv and I was selected into my first movie and I was like oh my gosh and I actually uh, that movie is still under production but everything I did go to New York and perform my scenes this was January of 20 now 
Mm. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. It was amazing. But then the pandemic hit in March of, so, because I was going to go back to New York that May for more. And then, but I'm still in touch with that director. He had me, he actually bought me my first Blue Yeti microphone for voice acting. And he sent it to me and he, but what the agreement is I do scripts for him. And he had me do um, one, of, one of his productions. Uh, he's still editing it. it. The director's name is Jason Stefano. You can find him on IMDB and um, he owns um, Divin Divinity Digital Entertainment, he and his wife. Uh, and then I, um, through that, anyway, through that exposure, I knew this is something I wanted to do because at this point, I knew retirement was coming up. Uh, my kids were starting to get a little bit older. I had them in soccer uh, and it was getting hard. I, I, I don't know how I pulled it off, but I always managed to get them to their, their soccer training was only on weekends because they were so young. But I'm seeing where this is their time to develop. That they need to start doing extracurricular, but they need parental involvement, and and I'm their access to do it. So they, um, my, a lot of my decision to retire when I did was also for them to have access for them. By this time, um, I was also living on post and they loved, they loved it when they were with me being a part of the military. And I still ended up taking more acting classes. So I would still my, continue my training. I'm actually enrolled in a new, a newer acting called Back to One Acting Studios, also in Raleigh. Um, I'm taking a commercial acting class now <clears throat> towards the, and, oh, and then also during like the networking, then all this networking started with other actors. And so my, my Facebook uh, contacts kind of grew exponentially overnight. That wasn't Mark planned. and I are learning of the effectiveness of this. Yeah. <laughs> right. And one of the actors who's became a good a friend of mine was also in the army, active duty at the time, stationed at Fort Bragg. We had mutual actors. I saw where he lived. I reached out to him. Eventually, one time we met at a bookstore just to talk about acting, but he already had an agent, known management group out of uh, Charlotte, who is now my agent's agent. But I was afraid to commit to that because basically I was acting as my own agent. I was putting myself out there, but keep in mind- What are the risks of that really? There's no risk. You just have yeah. to do, the, the bottom line is, and what do the work. you over and over again is to just be professional, be courteous, answer every email. Don't blow off a, a, a production assistant or a director. If, they, if they're considering you enough to give you the time of day, answer them. If you can't make an audition, don't just not show up. Decline. Oh, state yeah. the reason why. You know, but Good you insight. learn the military too. It comes down to customs and courtesies. Honestly, is all it is. Yeah, yeah brother. 
but there's a lot of people that don't do that. So I'm sure. Oh yeah. And, and, and so I, um, I, I, because I had to, I would have to put in for leave and you basically I would need at least a six week notice if I were to be accepted. So that one, that first, my first movie, uh, Jason Stefano, he really worked with me on that. We had, he, he secured these dates, wow. but I had plenty of time to put in my leave form. I, he was very, I was transparent with him. And I, you know, I admit before I got to know his team, I thought, here's a risk. They could say, well, we can't work with you, you know, but that didn't happen. But I was turned turned away from one agency be, for that reason. They said, we, when we find jobs, we need you almost right away. And I, I couldn't commit to that. Yeah. So they actually wouldn't accept me. The first agency I spoke to, <laughs> the agency I'm with now, um, I reached out to, to them. He came on recommendation from my army bud, you know, and <clears throat> we had worked out, we did an, an interview. The interview went well, he accepted me, but I was, he knew what my timeline was when I was retiring. By this time I was two months out from retirement and I was still, I was busy even retiring from the military is a full-time job. And I, you've got to get it done before your ceremony. I mean, I was, I was, you know, I was on a, on a tight, tight rope all the way to the end, but we were, we had a, a, a time frame when my schedule would open up for him to start submitting me mm. for work. And I retired in late February. I still had a lot of um, responsibilities to prepare for retirement. Even after that, <clears throat> he had me in my first acting gig with a real crime show called Storms of Suspicion in April and my first mm -hmm. one. I haven't heard of that. What was that on? What? Storms of Suspicion, you can find it on IMDb. Uh, they had, they've had one season already. They're filming the next season. It's episodic. So it's mm -hmm. similar to Investigative Discovery, you know? Cool. And basically they reenact real life crime. And I played a father and husband. Uh, my wife and I were shot dead by a shotgun by our 15-year-old son. Wow. He was, wow. A drug addict. he was a drug addict. It was a real life crime. And he wanted so money. Many of those. Yeah. yeah. But it was an interesting story, you know, and we had to reenact the, the, the kill scene. How fun. Wow. It was, it was fun. It was very interesting too. Very interesting. And I, and I also realized I learned, I want to do more of those. So I, I keep told Matt, Matt, um, I, I kept telling him, keep putting me in that, you know, you know, we talk to a lot of people, like, and the ones that are doing well are the really ones who have a good sense of humor like you, a really calm demeanor, who are charitable like you. Dude, I, I have good feelings, and, and you're going to go far. You're going to go far just because you're just, you're just an awesome guy. Well, thank you. Yeah. You're very kind. Is this but a I show? Let me ask you something. Is this a show where they're only allowing you to be on there once? Because I worked often on this show Scandal, you know, the ABC show Scandal. And at first they were like, you can only have been on there once ever. And it's like, how do you find enough people? And then they well, eventually laxed it. But what do you think? Well, 
I would say this for these episodic shows, they're not a series that might be part of the reason. The other reason is when they're doing real life crime shows, they want actors that at least resemble the real people. Oh, great point. So many of the, um, like they'll, they'll like on actors access where they post the acting jobs, when this company posts the jobs, they'll include a, a photograph of the real life person. And they'll, you know, they really don't want you, your profile submitted unless there's a resemblance. They want, they want your demographic. But I was just invited for my next one, knock on wood. I, I, yeah. did, I, I, submit, I did my, I, my audition off my tripod, you know, my phone submitted my other materials and now I'm waiting I really hope but they it, it basically I got the, the call if you will but the final decision is yet yet to be determined you know this is but, the same people you worked with before and just yeah it's, it, it's funny yeah. that he said yeah, I told that, you that call you back. I thought everything went real well and I I naively keep in mind I'm still new and I said to Matt um <clears throat> my agent I said tell them how much I loved it and I want to come back. And, you know, and then after about a month or two, I realized they weren't calling, but he had me in some other, he had me do some background work over the summer. And then uh, I submitted myself on a project for HBO and got it. And that was a lot of fun. So I did that one. Wow, and it was also a real life crime. I played a prosecutor wow. and Matt called me. They contacted Matt. After they, I knew before he did, but I said, you need to contact my agent. That, as a professional courtesy, I don't want to leave him out of the loop. No, not at all. <clears throat> but he called me and he goes, did you put yourself in for this gym? I said, I did. I hope you don't mind. He goes, no, not at all. Good job. You know, he was really good about it. That's but, awesome. happy for you. But yeah, course, but you got to, like I say, you, you know, there, you just got to, you, you just have to do it right. And, and, and in the acting world, yeah, if you want to be successful, you just got to know how to treat people because they will remember you. They will remember. Oh, you. for sure. Yeah, being in the industry. Right. They all say that. They, they say, you know, the people that are easy to work with, they get the call back. Yes. You know? Really, yeah. they do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we've uh, usually run in about an hour and we've done that. I could sit here and ask you questions all night. But I know this is such I a do want to ask about experience. your charity thing with breast cancer, please. Thank you for doing that. What is the modeling? Yeah, uh, the pink fashion show. Please tell us about that. So, one of again, it's it it evolved. It's something that I discovered through. I think I discovered it through my professional. I have a professional Facebook page as well, J. Patrick Burns. So please okay. follow me on there. Sure, we'll put it in our show we'll description. Have the link below. We will. Please follow me on there, and and so through that feed, not my personal one, Jim Burns, but my J. Patrick Burns. That feed, I came across this um, other professional page. Uh, his name is Raúl Raúl Torres, and he's a fashion designer. And so he had this. He does this event for raising funds for breast cancer research annually. So, and he was looking for male models. 
models and, and whatnot, female models. And I had, my agent by coincidence had us come for a day for a, a big photo session, actors. He collected a bunch of us. He wanted uh, action shots with us walking. He wanted body shots. He wanted head shots. He wanted to expand our profiles. This was maybe like the month before I saw this on my feed. So I had these new photos. So I reached out, I reached out to the designer and asked if I could be considered. And through a series of messaging, um, he, he accepted me basically. So it was through the professional page. I don't think I would have found it if I didn't have that professional page. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Just the way the algorithms work on yes. social media. Yeah, we know all too well the algorithm. <laughs> right. And then I found him through Instagram. And I try to keep my Instagram very, it's, it's a little more personal, but it's mostly professional. But as an actor, they want you to continue to post on social media so people see you, people get to know you. Right. <clears throat> so there's a method to my madness on Instagram, you know. Constant content. Right. Yeah. And so when the plan, he basically put together the cover, if you will, with your, he would, he would choose one of your images, the, the designer. He made up the poster and he asked, he put a message out to all of us participating. Please post this on your social media. Please share it with people you know. Let's get the word out. He, he's got his own campaign going, but part of the expectation is that we share this with. So I put it on all my pages. And basically, I'm going to be wearing whatever suits that he designed and clothing. And I'm going to do the walks and, and I've shared the link. And so who's ever listening, please um, make a donation, buy a ticket and come support it. It's going to be in Dallas at the Westin Resort Hotel on October the 9th. So I'm looking October 9th, yes. People yeah. in Dallas, our listeners, please check it out. What a great, great. Uh, what a great, a good cause. Oh, great yeah. Cost. They needed all the money you got. Are you kidding? Yeah, we really got to yes. really tackle all cancers of all kinds. Yes. Yes. And thank you so much for being a part of that. <clears throat> you do so many nice things. It's really, well, you're an awesome guy. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think if, if you have a sense of purpose, it's all about having a sense of purpose. If, if you have a good sense of purpose beyond yourself, you really can't go wrong. Even if you fail, like you can, turning into a learning experience and you're a good influence for your boys i have two boys too you know and i'm sure they're very proud of you you know military career honor your country you know actor singer model geez you're a hard act to follow yeah they but they they've come into their own like my son he played a monkey in a jungle book last spring wow. he did a great job on the awesome. taste of it and my younger son is, they both enjoy the military, but my younger son, he keeps saying, I'm going to, I'm going in the army. He just says it. I'm like, okay, mm. Jonathan, if that's what you want to do. Go for it. You got them both following in your footsteps in their own way. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm going to talk Great. another hour unless uh, you cut me off, Mark. You got anything else? No, we're just thrilled to have, and that's why Brian and I do this is to bring on, you know, 
inspiring uh, guest uh, uh, where our guests, our listeners can learn things. And that's what's so great about these podcasts is we're connecting with others, you know, who are like-minded and others who love to serve. What our, what our guests, what our listeners, I should say, are learning that there's a lot of stuff going on in the North Carolina area, in the Atlanta, and South Carolina, the Carolinas in the Atlanta area. Everything's moving away from these big coastal cities, Very which true. in my views are, I'm not going to elaborate. I just don't really like them, you know, so. And what we're finding is a lot of good-hearted, good people that don't have all these, all this things about them that are unpleasant. It just seems that that's in just... Thank goodness that things are springing up out of careers like military careers, you know, and that is going to shine through in your acting. And I think that a few more connections and you're going to be so busy that you're not going to know what to do. Yeah, it's starting to happen. You, you, you've got to manage. It's all about time management. But, you know, your point about the bigger cities, I think we're going to watch a trend where maybe New York and Los Angeles, Los Angeles won't be the meccas for entertainment as they shouldn't be. I think- No, are, you're hitting smart. right on the nose, yeah. I think people are getting smart that we have this big country, it's the size of a continent and it is, we need to use it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, great. One of my photographers, she is a professionally trained actress from the United Kingdom. Her husband is American spent many years in New York City, they made the decision to move to Apex, North Carolina. The, the first reason was the cost of living. They had a son, but they were, she said, she then transitioned away from acting, pursued more of the, the photography side. Her husband still acts, but they've had still have, have been able to have thriving careers based in North Carolina. Who'd have thought? That's great. Mm -hmm. Got to be something to it. It keeps coming up again and again. <laughs> right. Well, uh, you can uh, see us on uh, all of our audio. Um, I mean, hear us on all of the audio platforms. And everybody, uh, catch us on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe. Smack that bell so you get a notification. Uh, and would you like to repeat your uh, social media um, things again before we leave? Yeah. Sure, absolutely. So on Facebook, you can find me at J. Patrick Burns. I have a professional page. You can also find me on IMDB. Just type in my name again. On Instagram, I'm actor underscore singer underscore J. Patrick Burns. Um, I'm happy to accept you if your account is legitimate. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, we've been talking to a lot of nice guys and networking with them, and hopefully this video will get to them. Let me tell you, we got a lot of guys like you that are on the verge of something big and uh, – Gosh, it's going to be so great once all these things come to fruition. But anyway, thank yes. you so much for being here. Thanks and, so much for uh, talking to me. This is and, fun. Yeah. As soon as something, as soon as you post something, we're going to reach out to you and tell you to come back on. As soon as you, so make sure you reach out to us. Any new projects you got, because no. we want to promote you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's a great meeting you today. Yeah.